thinking about, do I have the right people in place, especially in B2B? And I, and I think um, because they're in this environment, because B2B has this challenge across the board, this isn't a one-off that we just see with one company. It is everywhere. So this is a common challenge and problem that B2B companies face. If I'm an executive, I'm looking at my B2B analytics leadership and saying, do I have the right people there? And you, do you know who I want to hire? Going back to the school example, do you know who I want to hire? The juvenile delinquent. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. Yeah. So um, to start things off, I had lunch before this, so I'm not hungry. I didn't. So, but it's only 11 a.m. here. So, yeah. So I, I had a lunch at normal time before this. I had some chili. So mm, sounds good because this morning it was cold. Uh, we're at a balmy 35 right now. Yeah, keep that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's cold. It looks mm-hmm. beautiful outside, but it is cold. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with it being cold December into January, but by the time we get about halfway through January, I'm done with it being cold. I'm ready for spring again. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've talked about it. If I could just be sitting in the marine layer in San Diego where the temperature has this massive range between 68 and 72 degrees all the time, that's that's my ideal. But I, I actually don't mind the cold. The cold isn't bad. It's the... It's the cold with a little bit of wind and water in the air. So think being in New York in like January with a slight breeze coming off the ocean and it like hitting you like little needles that uh, I, that's not, I don't like that at all. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just like, you know, tired of the cold and being stuck inside and the house is all cooped up and it's getting dark at four thirty, five o'clock. Oh my gosh. It gets dark so early. Yeah. It, it's just depressing. <laughs> Yeah. Like I want to be a forty-year-old snowbird. <laughs> oh, the snowbirds! The snowbirds and I have a uh, not so great relationship together. Okay, have I told you? Like you might have, but I'm blanking at the moment. So in in college, um, I lived in this great apartment complex that I really liked, um, but I couldn't stay there in the summers because we got kicked out because the snowbirds from Southern Utah and from Arizona come up to where I went to college because it's far Northern Utah. It's kind of up in the mountains. And so it gets warm, but you know, not 120 degrees Phoenix warm. So they come up there and live in the summer and we get, we got booted out of our apartment. So I had to go find some temporary place to live for four months and then move all my stuff back in when they went back once the snow started to fall. So, mm-hmm. oh, that blows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh well, I understand. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I I wouldn't mind being a forty year old snowbird, like you know, packing things up, you know, toward the end of January, heading down to Florida until early March. I could do that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I coming home too. right before spring break. I could do that too. In fact, I've thought about doing that. Not Florida, but Southern California. Southern California, yeah. Yeah, for me, it would be Florida. Yeah, well, it makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> Geographically speaking. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I, I've, you know, we did that drive back in January. Like, I don't mind that drive for some reason. because what, how, how, how far is it? It's 18 hours. Oh, that's brutal. But it's actually not that bad. No. And, I mean, what I would do, like... I wouldn't do the straight through yeah. that because by the time you get to Florida, depending upon where you're going to Florida, like central Florida is 18 hours. Yeah. And that's, I think if it can factor in some, some stops, but it's all I-95. So if you, if you time it right on I-95, you're usually pretty good. You just have to watch like where I'm at Baltimore through Richmond, which obviously the big portion of that is DC. So if if you go through at rush hour, you're going to hit all the Beltway traffic. Mm. Um, but like once you get past Richmond, it's you know like aside from an accident or something, it's usually pretty smooth sailing. And like we'll we'll, we'll drive it again eventually going down to Florida. You know we did the straight through going down, and then we stayed over coming up. And just like the the staying over gives you just enough, uh, just freshens you up enough for the drive like going down i was fine until like the last two hours and that's why i was just like i just need to get out of the car i just need to get out of the car yeah um but for the majority of the ride it was fine all right well that's yeah i've never i've never undertaken anything near that long so about eight nine hours is the max so i've driven not and not in just in one thing like even breaking it up like i've never gone farther than that yeah if i can convince my wife on homeschooling then we could definitely make that happen Sooner rather than yeah. later. Well, that would be that would be that would be fun to do that. I was thinking about. Uh, have you ever saw watched the show? I think it's on Netflix called The Wild Chef. No, it's super enjoyable. Even if you're not into culinary, it's super enjoyable. Anyway, they're from Canada, and I and I and I think that geography probably has a lot of influence on how you think about travel and movement. Because, like, these guys, and, and sure, they're filming a show, but it seemed like no big deal for them to be like, oh, yeah, we're just going to jump in the truck and go to this other place. It's 10 hours away. But it's like, when you think about it, like, lots of stuff in Canada is really spread far apart. And maybe, you know, that's not a big deal. Like, for me, like, 10 hours, I'm like, that's something I would need to plan for, like, a month to go on a 10-hour drive. Like, yeah, let's just jump in the truck and go. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could do a 10-hour drive. Not too bad. <sighs> Okay. Once I'm kind of like familiar with where I'm going, it's not that bad. Yeah. I hear you. Are we, uh, what, what month is this? October? This is November. No, it's November. I got a, uh, I think I took a screenshot of it. Yeah. My Sonos, uh, my Sonos sent me a push notification last night. Uh, you probably won't be able to see it. Nah, it's not going to come in. Blurry. Yeah, it says, uh, killer music for Halloween, Monster Bash Radio. I'm like, what? Is, it, what? is it October? What month is it? A little late on that one. Yeah, it was weird targeting from Sonos yeah. on that. I'm like, I got to take a screenshot of this. Yeah, I've already, I've got the Christmas music playing at this point. Oh, do you? Yeah. And you can't, you probably can't. Oh, you might be able to see that. This morning, uh, I was working... I've, I never, I've heard the term a lot. And speaking of Florida, 
I, but I never looked into what it actually was today after watching lots of YouTube videos, I made my first attempt at making a real Cuban coffee. Enlighten me. Um, so I'm no expert. So if you're listening and you're a Cuban coffee expert, don't, don't, uh, destroy me here. But, um, so I have, oh, it's not in here cause I cleaned it. I have, I bought this new cheap little Italian stovetop brewer that kind of mimics espresso, but it's not really espresso. And I guess it's a ubiquitous across Italy and lots of parts of Europe because they, you know, they drink espresso every morning, but not everyone can have a thousand dollar espresso machine in their house. So they have these little cheap little brewers that kind of mimic espresso and the Cuban coffee to even take it a step further um, has a method of creating this, what I would call faux crema, like the cream layer on top. And the way that they do it is they spoon sugar into a cup and then the first few, maybe half a teaspoon or teaspoon of coffee that comes out of the brew pot, they, they put into the sugar and then they just beat the hell out of that sugar until it becomes like this syrupy, almost taffy looking concoction. Weird. And then they okay. pour the coffee on it, which is a, is a shot. Like it's not drip coffee, so you don't drink it in volumes. It's a smaller. So when you see the little smaller cube coffees, it's more of a shot, a couple ounces they pour it over this cream that they've or this sugar that they've creamed together and it creates this faux kind of crema layer on top of the coffee and it also sweetens it. Wow. And okay. It is amazing. So if I ever make it to Miami, I know what I'm going to be drinking all the time. Legit Do Cuban it. coffees. Do it. So there you go. So as you can, so I'm fully caffeinated, I guess is what I'm saying. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Oh, that should be good for our conversation today. I hope so. Did you have a peek at what we're talking about? I didn't. About? Nope. I didn't look. Okay. Well, we're going to continue talking about B2B versus B2C, comparing, contrasting them. But I want to start narrowing in on the digital analytics piece of it. Mm. Uh, digital and, you know, digital analytics, marketing data piece of it, and focusing more on the technical side of things this week. Okay. So what I want to talk about are what unique things should a data collection solution entail for a B2B site? So that could be digital analytics, that could be marketing data. What should, what are things that need to be taken into account when working with a B2B site like you know i think uh, one of the things we've talked about so far on this this general topic is that one of the major mistakes people make is is the b2b site is treated as secondary and it just inherits whatever the b2c site gets yeah. whether that's thought process methodologies assumptions whatever it's, it's so true. And I, as I think we talked about in a previous episode, it's so bizarre to me <laughs> that, that at least the companies that we, we tend to work with, um, the B2B side dwarfs the B2C side in revenue generation. Yet, from an analytics investment standpoint, it's often small. We, I think we talked about it last episode on kind of why that is. There's just this assumption that's how it is. Yes. You know, we, they're going to buy from us anyway, so we don't have to worry about analyzing or optimizing. So whatever the consumer guys are getting, you get, 
but there's so much opportunity there to look at it as a unique property with unique customers that have unique needs and demands and, and, and uh, engagement patterns. And so, I mean, obviously the easy place to go to is to look at your, your top funnel, right? We come to the site from some sort of source. We, we get them to the product and then they look at it and then they fill out a lead form usually. Right. I mean, there are some B2B companies that we work with that are, are retail that, that can purchase, um, you know, those in, in cases, and we can talk about those as a separate case. I think there's a lot that they can learn and pick up from their B2C side of the, the house, but oftentimes B2B, um, tends to be high end products with, with a, a longer sales cycle. And those have some, incredibly unique needs. And again, I think it's easy to think about, well, we want to know where they're coming from. We want to know what product sheets that they're looking at information. And then we want to know, did they start and complete a lead form? You know, I think that's the, the easy flow to think about. One of the challenges though, with, with most B2B is that they inherently have a much, much longer sales cycle than B2C. Um, and, and so, starting to think about it in the terms of the lifetime of that uh, engagement really is going to start to force you down the path of metrics and dimensions and things that you should start to be thinking about as you think about capturing data to better understand your B2B customers. Uh, and, and that can be things like, um, what is the purpose of your website? You know, again, the easy answer to that is, well, we want people to look at our product sheets and then fill out a lead form. But if you look at these B2B websites, there's lots of other information on there. There's often blogs and articles and videos and all sorts of other content that has been strategically, at least I would hope, designed to kind of enforce and drip and get people to move along the funnel. And, and that's one of the harder things to measure, but the companies that we've worked with that where we've been able to put a framework in place to get that down have really been able to use analytics um, to, to their advantage. And what I mean by that is rather than just kind of throwing all of your content on the site against the wall and saying, we hope this works, it's using analytics to help understand what content is consumed at what part of the journey to understand how that content is going to help move them down the path. And sometimes that journey is online. Oftentimes it's offline, right? So I come to the website, I fill out a lead form, then I get pushed into Salesforce and then some rep starts following up with me. And there's a lot of offline things that happen before a sales sale is completed, but I may still be coming back to the website. You know, maybe the sales rep points me back to the website and says, Hey, have you seen this? Or have you read this? Or maybe I'm doing independent research. And so using analytics to help understand what data should be consumed at what point in the lead cycle to help move them to the next step is fundamental to, to optimizing that long um, lead funnel, shortening it where possible and increasing um, the quality of the leads that ultimately move through and, and purchase is really where analytics can can shine in a B2B scenario. With that said, it's incredibly hard to do. Yeah, that's what I, I was thinking there. Like, yeah, of course I immediately jump into how to do that. And <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, this is gonna take some time. Like that, that, that's not something that is, is easy to solution, right. which is where I think a lot of people get tripped up. We, you know, I think 
a lot of analytic solution designers have kind of gotten into the, their wheelhouse of stuff that they're going to automatically deploy when approaching a new implementation. Mm-hmm. And that's where they get tripped up when it comes to facing a B2B client, because by appearances, it, it seems like it's just any old site and what you typically do will work. But then, yeah, when you start to look at it that way, it's like, no, it, it's not going to be that easy. Yeah, it's it's incredibly difficult, and that's where the work is. And it's it's a lot more thought process and understanding the business and the customer than it is about mapping variables to data. I mean, sure, that's that's important, but understanding the unique needs and aspects of a B two B business is really where the work comes in. And unfortunately, um, there are times where people come in and say, "Well, I did this when I worked for." you know, this retail company, or I did this when I worked for this other, you know, when I worked for this automotive, like there are lots of things that you can learn. And we've talked about the importance of cross-discipline, but if you're using it as a recipe to say, well, I cooked it here and I'm going to cook the same exact recipe here, it's going to fail 10 times out of 10. It just doesn't work that way. You have to be able to be creative and nimble and adjust. And sure, you can use that framework or that recipe as a framework Um, but you have to be able to adjust to the ingredients and the environment that you're in in order to make it, it work and B2B again is incredibly challenging. And unfortunately, and I feel for the, the, the people that work in B2B environments, because again, they're often overlooked, especially in scenarios where there's a B2C component of the same company. Um, they're, they're often many times overlooked and underfunded and especially from an analytics perspective. And it's unfortunate because we, we've seen great opportunity and value that can be driven in better understanding that flow. And again, making sure that the right content is presented at the right time. It's a game changer when, when you can figure that out and, and ultimately make it work. But again, it's, it's difficult Number one, you hit on it. It's difficult just from a business standpoint of how do we make sense of all this and figure out what we want to track and and what we have in play. It's also really difficult from a technology standpoint, especially as we're getting more privacy regulation and browser changes, because these aren't people that are saying, you know what, I got a, I got an itch to go buy something. So I'm going to jump on Amazon and buy it right now. You know, again, these are, these are buyers that are researching and looking and three, six, sometimes nine month cycles to complete a sale, you know, being able to tie that whole journey together just on a browser is near impossible. Then you add in the complexity of probably, you know, 80 to 90% of the interaction between the company and the prospect happening off the website and off technology in general. It's incredibly difficult to piece that whole story together. And I don't think anyone has really fully uh, figured out how to solve that puzzle. Yep. And as you were talking a couple minutes ago, do you know what image came into my mind? No. The how to prepare label on many food products. Mm. Like here's how to prepare unless you're at this elevation or right, above, right. you got to do it this way. Right. Yeah. You just pop it out and prepare it, you know, at, you know, like if you're, you're living on, you know, in a coastal city versus living in a, a city in the mountains. And you know, cooking and recipes as an example is are such a great example of, of this because that is most people look at a recipe and say, okay, if I follow this exactly as the recipe dictates, it's going to turn out exactly like the picture that was shown. And that's just not how cooking works. 
the recipe is meant to be a framework and a guide, but you have to adjust to the ingredients you have, the quality of your ingredients, the altitude you're at, the humidity that's in play, the, you know, all of these variables are going to impact your final product. And if you just look at it and say, well, I'm just going to replicate and go step by step what the recipe says, you're, you're most likely going to be dissatisfied because it's not going to come out as good as it could. And the same is true for analytics implementation, right? If, if we took a playbook off the shelf and says, well, this is what we need to do. And, and we just followed that recipe step by step without taking into consideration all of the variables that are unique to that situation, you know, sure, we're going to end up with something that looks something like an analytics implementation, but it's going to fail to really deliver on the value of like, it doesn't look like the picture on the package. And a huge part of that is, is that in order to do that, you have to be creative to be able to change and modify the way you do things based on your environment and the variables that are at play. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and I think that's why many times there are so many half done implementations out there, um, is that, that people just follow the same, the same recipe book, the same playbook every time. Yeah. We're going to do A, we're going to do B, and we're going to do C. Oh, your site has has a basket and has a checkout funnel. We do this. Uh, oh, your site has lead form. We do this. Regardless of who the intended audience is for that ability to add something to the basket or to to submit the lead form. It, it, it's such a subtle call out, but one that's so incredibly difficult to to think about because you're you're right, and I don't want to call out specific roles or agencies or but we we see this a lot, and I and I hear it a lot from prospects is that you know they'll come to me and say you know we hired someone or we had this agency and we're not getting value from our data, and it takes just a minute of kind of pulling back the covers and saying well, who did this for you? Because this looks like a very generic implementation. I and, and the things you're capturing aren't even aligned with your website technology, let alone your business needs. You know, why didn't anyone call them on this? And so, you know, when we hear people say, I'm frustrated with analytics or analytics, my analytics platform doesn't work. Oftentimes it has very little to do with the technology and almost everything to do with the decisioning that was made in how that data was, was collected as, as I've talked about probably, um, probably too much. The implementer has an incredible amount of power. The person responsible for gathering and collecting data is incredibly powerful and the decisions they make more than almost anything else is going to influence how people feel about the data that they, that they have to, to use. And so it's, it's, it's not something that should be taken lightly. And part of it is on the vendor side where they say, Oh, it's super easy to slap this on there. But part, <laughs> but part of it is on the, the, the consumer side as well, because, you know, oftentimes that's what they're telling the vendors. We just want to just, we, we don't want to have to put a lot of work in this, like make it super easy. It's like, okay, we can do that for you. And so you kind of get what you ask for. Right. And then when you're frustrated, it's like, well, that's what you wanted. You know, you asked for just a generic thing and you got it, the generic thing. And now you're not happy with it. Yeah. I was going to do our obligatory call out of, you know, vendor, vendor sales where it's like, yeah, just put our technology in place in either replacing something else or 
know, in addition to what is already there, just pop, pop our stuff up and yeah. here's, here's a generic tag to, to put up there. Like it, it, it actually just happened with a client two days ago. Um, their, their paid marketing agency reached out to have, have a, um, another tag added to the site. Um, and they just send over the, um, just sent the the help file because it's it's not even their technology. It's like right. here we need this put up there. I'm like, okay, can you clarify the definition of this? And I'm looking at this version of it, and are you even sure like what you're sending me is accurate? Because I'm looking at the knowledge base article, and it looks like this particular ID, and I'm getting way into the details here. This particular <laughs> ID is. I think it's a placeholder. Can you confirm that this is the ID that's supposed to be in there for this particular parameter? Because if not, I could wire this up and you're still not going to see any data. We're, 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 we're going on a major tangent here, but you call out a massive, massive issue that is facing MarTech. And I don't know any other way to say it than people are incredibly lazy because we see it across the board where people are not thinking deeply about the data that they're asking to capture. And a lot of times I maybe, I don't know if it's they're lazy or they just don't care because when we have those conversations and say, have you really thought about what you're asking for? Well, what about in this scenario? You know, is this what you really know? And tying it back to B2B, this is a conversation I've had a lot in B2B what constitutes a lead? What constitutes a lead start, a lead submission? You know, you're, you're driving traffic to the same form from different sources and different needs. How do we want to segment and break that apart? There are times where I get the shoulder shrug and say, just, just deploy the damn code, you know? And it's like, well, wait a minute. Are we just trying to deploy something to check off a list that we got it done? Are we trying to deploy something that's going to provide meaningful data for us to do something with it? Because if it's the latter, there's a lot of thought work that needs to go into doing that right. If it's the former, I don't want to do it. Go find someone else to do it, you know, because if we're just doing work to do work to say we did work, this sounds like a waste of time to me. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's exactly what it oftentimes turns out to be. Yeah, and it makes me sad that that's yeah. the case. Because we're, we're, it's the, I, I do believe a majority of the time it's like, oh, we just need to check this off the list because we can call it, call, call it, it done. done. We got it done. Yeah. We closed, you know, it, and, we closed our JIRA ticket out. You know, it, it, it's deployed out there and nobody's thinking about like, well, what data are we passing in? Is it accurate? Do we even know the definitions for it? And if we, if we don't, we, you know, people just make assumptions. Oh, just put revenue there. Well, what's your definition of revenue? <laughs> is it total amount paid by the customer or is it, you know, an, an amount before tax and shipping? Yeah. Um, you know, just, just put in, yeah, I, I just need the item IDs purchased. Well, how do you want them? And like, it, it's, that's why like asking those questions, like people get ticked off, but it's like, I'm just trying to help you here because that's what's going to happen is, yeah. If I'm, if I just push this code out, it's not going to work. And then you're going to complain that we're getting the wrong data, the implementation's wrong. It's yeah, I'm trying to head that off. But a lot of people don't care, Jim, and I think that that's that's the problem, right? Is that you're when you slow I give them, a shit. you care, right? 
And, you know, we can have a separate conversation because I've gone back and forth in my head if it really matters to care because so many companies are making so much money and they don't care. And it's like, well, what's the point of caring? Is, is it a revenue thing or is it just a self pride thing that it's important to care because very few do. So one, they don't care. Um, and, and you care and you're seen as getting in the way of them just checking a task off their job so they can move on to the next task. And, and I think, um, I don't know. I don't know why, I don't know why this is happening, but I think a big part of it is, um, people are working for companies and have shifted how they feel about their job. And, and I'm thinking about this cause I'm just finishing reading the book that you sent me. Um, was it cowboy ethics? The cowboy, Code, cowboy ethics, law of yeah. the West, law of the West. Uh, like one of the top ones is take pride in what, take pride in your work, take pride in what you do. And, and I, and I, you know, I think about that a lot from this conversation standpoint is people are like, ah, it's not my company. I don't care. I mean, so a, I get that, but B, shouldn't you just have a little bit of pride in what you're doing? Isn't there some sense of accomplishment that you're actually doing something right? And there just isn't. I mean that, you know, as the book talks about, there's a lot of these law of the West cowboy ethic principles that have just gone by the wayside over the years. And people have just like, you know, they, they don't care that it's just gone. And it's, it's unfortunate. Um, It's unfortunate. Yeah, it it is. It's one of these things that it, it drives me up a wall when I feel like, you know, people don't, don't care. Yeah. And this is not to pat, my, pat myself on the back, but yeah, I do care. And also not to sh- sound cliche. There's days that I am incredibly frustrated by it. Um, that, that people are either just trying to, well, we're going to do it the way we've always done it. Or this is the way to bring it back to our topic a little bit. You know, are, this is the way the B2C site does it. So we just need to copy it over for, for B2B. The site functions the same. We're fine. Or the, yeah, just push the code out. We need to get this done. It's frustrating at times. Yeah. You know, like, but at night I can at least say when I wrap up for the day, I did my best. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. there is something to that as cliche as it is. There's something to that. The, there is. And I, you know, maybe that's a, an output of the stage in your career you're at. Maybe that's just the output of, you know, speaking of, of our company, the type of people that we've attracted, um, and so maybe it's not fair to apply that lens to a larger audience, but I think everyone that we work with, a big motivator is not just doing the job at the state of their career that they're at. It's, I want to have pride in what I do. I want to do something that actually is meaningful. And, and I feel like, and if I'm way off base on this, you know, I would love for someone to tell me I'm completely wrong, but it feels like a lot of people just don't have pride in what they do. They don't care about what they're doing there. It's just a job and they're just there to flip widgets. And the quicker they can check the boxes, the quicker they can get out of there and go do something else. Mm -hmm. And you know, that, you know, that may speak a lot to people's work ethics, but it may also speak a lot to the employers. Maybe this is a byproduct of employers creating crappy environments for people to work in. So they're like, you know, going back to office space, why do I care? I push yeah. out another widget. It doesn't mean anything to me. Well, I'm reminded of this funny story from third grade. It was like the first day of third grade and we're sitting at our desks and the teacher's like, you know, she, the first assignment is, is the obligatory, what I did 
over summer vacation mm -hmm. story. So I'm writing mine. She's like, all right, time's up. Hand them in. I'm like, I'm not done yet. So everybody else hands <laughs> theirs in. And like a couple minutes later, I run up. like, here's mine. She goes, I told you everybody to hand them in. I'm like, well, I wasn't done yet. And like, I kind of got in trouble for not half-assing it and handing it in. And I think back to it and I'm like, yeah, I'm actually trying to make sure it's done. You know, so doing it right is a uh, apparently a lost art going back yeah. to third grade, you know. But yeah. but to that to that point, I mean, I think a lot of and now we're way going way off topic, and we really need to get um, the marshals on our podcast to maybe debate this with us because I think it, it's a huge problem that I see in education is that a lot of at least in primary and secondary education, it's teaching kids to it's rewarding kids to follow how quickly they or how best they can follow the rules. Right. It's like, well, I filled it out and I turned it in on time. So I get an A. It's like, well, I filled it out and the value that I created and the quality of my product was a thousand times better, but it took me two minutes longer. So I'm getting docked because I didn't follow directions in my pro and it was late. You know, so we're, we're, we're teaching kids that it's much more important to fit within this like rigid system than it is to have free thinking and think about what it is we're actually creating. Um, but again, I think that's a whole other topic for a different show. Yeah. Yeah. I, I need to get back in touch with them <laughs> so we can, we can get that scheduled, but like I, I'm seeing the same thing you're seeing. Yeah. Um, it's, it is, it's like, well, th this is how we start to tie this tangent back into to our our topic is that we are we're, we're we're asking like what should people consider because right now one of the trends we're seeing when it comes to companies that have the sister b2b brand and they have some form of site whether it's an e-commerce site or a lead gen site it's it's seen as secondary it's just 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 copy it over don't think about the differences just get it done and that's what's going on in school today you know it feels like i i i feel the same thing that you're that, that you're feeling that you're seeing that you know kids are just told to, to get tasks done get it done as fast as you can and you know don't don't worry about the details yeah don't think through the details which is the truly critical part i i agree and so my advice would be if if i'm in an executive level role at a company um, especially a company that has both a B2C division and a B2B division. I'm, I'm thinking about, do I have the right people in place, especially in B2B? And I, and I think um, because they're in this environment, because B2B has this challenge across the board, this isn't a one-off that we just see with one company. It is everywhere. So this is a common challenge and problem that B2B companies face. If I'm an executive, I'm looking at my B2B analytics leadership and saying, do I have the right people there? And you, do you know who I want to hire? Going back to the school example, do you know who I want to hire? Who? The juvenile delinquent. So we, we talked about, um, you know, kids that are doing great in school because they follow all the rules. The kid that did great because they followed all the rules in school is not going to disrupt a b2b organization the way it needs to be done so i'm gonna i pulled up the yvonne chenard quote um from uh, i can't remember what book it's from 
let my people go surfing maybe where he said um if you want to understand the entrepreneur study the juvenile delinquent the delinquent is saying with his actions this sucks i'm going to do my own thing and that's that's really what we need to be doing in the b2b setting is you need to look for uh leadership to hire and bring into your analytics um function you need to be looking to partner with agencies that are willing to come in and say this sucks we're going to do it different because i guarantee you that the status quo is not going to work for you you know hiring the analytics manager that just wants to appease everyone and make sure everyone happy is not going to fix anything just bringing in an agency that's going to pat themselves on the back for checking off a lot of tasks off a list is not going to change anything if you truly want to use data to empower your your b2b organization to fundamentally change how you engage with customers in a more personalized fashion that is going to increase conversion time and increase quality of customers that move through the funnel you need someone that's going to be a delinquent come in there and say like this sucks we're doing this completely different let's go mm-hmm. yeah send me that quote okay. after we wrap up here that's a nightmare yeah I will drop that in the chat on our Slack protocol platform. Nice. Yeah. So you're seeing real time behind the scenes. There you go. How we organize this stuff. Yeah. 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 Well, cool. Yeah. This has been good. Totally went off topic today, but I think it, 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 it relates because it, it, when it comes to, to B2B, and if we bring it specifically to the level we were talking about today, designing data collection for, for B2B, you, you can't half-ass it. You have to care. Yeah. Because you're going to be fighting headwinds in many organizations. Yeah, it's going to be – you're going to, to get pushback and – going against what everybody wants and it 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 is easy it is easy to say all right i'll just do it well just half-ass it but if you really want to make a difference in collecting data that will help a b2b organization you yeah you got to give a shit yeah you do and um it is a huge differentiator because so few people do so yeah yeah, yeah. And it's, it's hard. I mean, as you mentioned, some days you get frustrated and some days I question, does it matter to even care? But if you have pride in what you do, it matters. Um, and in the long run, and we're not talking about payoff. We're not talking about, we're talking about doing fulfilling work that is, that we feel proud to stand behind, you know? And the people that matter notice. They do. They do. You know, the, the people that are going to matter are going to notice when you care. When, when you put thought into it and not just copy what's been done before or, or just find, find shortcuts and say, oh, you know, this is the way we do it over here. So this is the way it should be done here. You're right. You're absolutely right. Sometimes that's hard to see in the moment, but. Oh, it's incredibly frustrating <laughs> to see in the moment. Yeah. Like, like the, and, and sometimes like it even inspires self doubt. Yeah. Like you, you have to really really be sure of what you're talking about because it is easy to to be doubtful 
when when you're challenging things like this or you're trying to help other people see why it matters about caring yeah yep hmm. cool all right so i think we can we can wrap up yeah I think that's a good good spot to wrap it yeah so we, we're going to cover this one more time before we take a break for for the end of the year um we're going to come back to this topic and talk about actually using the data within a B2B organization and what should analysts think about. So we'll cover that. And then we are going to take a break for, for the end of the year. We're going to repost some of our, our favorites from the last couple of years. And uh, yeah, we'll be back in January. Sounds awesome. It is the holiday season. Yep. So cool, man. All right. we'll, we'll wrap up for, at that point and catch everybody later. See you. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.